Hey, you awesome person out there. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. And today we got a sponsored show with Morantis. They have announced a brandy new product, part of the Lens ecosystem, a product called App IQ. Ned, what did you think about this thing? I thought it really fit an interesting use case where you've started using Kubernetes a little bit, but now you have multiple clusters, you have many applications, and maybe you're a developer or maybe you're on the platform team and you're just trying to get visibility and get your hands around what is happening with all my clusters and AppIQ is there to help you. Enjoy this conversation with sponsor Marantis as we dig into their Lens, Lens desktop problem to give you those insights into those Kubernetes clusters and then the brand new announcement of AppIQ. Daniel Escher-Gray from Marantis, uh, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. It's uh, it's nice to have you. Now, this is your first time sponsoring Day 2 Cloud. Let's say the audience doesn't know you. If you could give us a 30-second overview of Marantis, who you guys are and what you do, what would that be? Yeah, so Marantis is a company that is focusing a lot on, on cloud-native solutions, um, trying to offer the concept of what zero ops is. So basically making the lives of people out there and companies easier in terms of cloud-native adoption. Uh, Mirantis has been a while. It has very important customers around the world for many of the different products that we have, Mirantis uh, Kubernetes Engine, MKE, Lens, and others. And now we're very happy to be here uh, as part of the sponsor of, of, of this podcast. And it's very nice to have you. Now, you mentioned in there uh, Lens, and uh, and of course, Lens App IQ is what we're going to be focusing on today. But for folks that don't know Marantis, maybe they haven't used Lens or Lens Desktop, let's start there, Daniel. What is Lens? Yeah, so Lens is a desktop application that simplifies a lot the usage of Kubernetes. So it's basically a UI for kubectl to replace uh, kubectl handling. So as a developer, as a platform engineer, you don't need to remember all those commands to to start managing your cluster. And besides that, it brings a bunch of other features as security control. There is a lens space and teams there that allows you to easily share access to a cluster to other people without you as a developer having to understand how airbag work and, and, and a lot of those things. It also gives you a little bit more control in terms of how to switch between contexts of different clusters so you always know what are you seeing and you're 100% sure that if you're looking at a pod, it's right there in that specific cluster. So to avoid mistakes and all that. <laughs> I'm laughing because I have definitely been in the wrong context and not realized it. And I'm like, where'd all my pods go? Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> I'm on the development <laughs> cluster. So like having that clearly shown to me is like a big thing. And it sounds like Lens Desktop is able to work with multiple Kubernetes clusters. So it's not like a one-to-one mapping in that environment. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Lens is compatible with any official Kubernetes distribution. So as long as this is a a Kubernetes API, basically can talk to it and then it can present the same information that you have. So it digests for you all the different objects that exist in the in the very extensive Kubernetes world, and then you can see them divided and categorized in, in an easier way. So you can inspect your pods, as you said, and make sure that you're interacting with what you're looking for. And Lens Desktop, because it's, it's literally a desktop client, it, it runs on uh, Mac, Linux, or Windows, and interacts with the clusters that way. You point it at the cluster and provide your credentials appropriately, and, and off it goes. It does a discovery and, uh, and begins to bring those things into that desktop client. That's correct. So as long as you have your kubeconfig file already in your computer, Lens does the work for you to discover that and immediately sees the clusters that, that you have there in your context. Then it's up to you to kind of click in one of those clusters and 
initiate what we call the connection process. So then the cluster gets actually loaded into Lens, and then you can start interacting with it. Okay, but that's not necessarily a shared environment. What you're seeing in your Lens desktop might not line up to what you know your compatriot is also seeing in Lens desktop because you started them at different points and you might have collected different metrics. So how do you sort of square that circle of I'm on a team and I need shared information? There are multiple ways to do this, right? As far as Lens go to simplify this process, because normally you will need to share, I don't know, a kubeconfig file, or if you're, I don't know, an AWS, maybe you need to, to share the cluster within the project of AWS and, and things like that. Download, I don't know, the EKS, CLI, and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But in this case, Lens also provide a feature called Lens Spaces and Lens Teams, which allow you as an administrator to invite people to your cluster. And then Lens, what it does, it mm-hmm. opens up like a virtual connection to your cluster. So I can invite Ned, and Ned can immediately go to Lens, see that Daniel invite him to kind of operate his cluster, and then you can start seeing the cluster right away without cube config files without any other extra information. So yeah, that's uh, an easier way to, to share resources because we have identified this is a key issue that a lot of teams have out there. One more Lens question before we move on to, to App IQ and the big announcement here. What sort of a, a person am I if I'm using Lens? Am I a DevOps engineer? Am I a developer? Who, who is it that's consuming using Lens? Yeah, so to be honest, the, this this product is aimed for both personas. Um, mm. We have as part of uh, as part of our clientele a lot of DevOps that use it because again, it makes your life easier switching context, uh, seeing a lot of value there in, in in the way we split the views, how we relate resources between each other. I don't know, let's say a deployment with a pod, uh, with services and, and so on. Uh, it also makes it easier for them to edit resources. So yeah, I would say for from from a DevOps perspective, if you have already knowledge of Kubernetes, you know what a deployment is, what a pod is, you can easily go there, locate things and, and operate easier uh, for quick troubleshooting and all. And in terms of a developer, I think it's even more friendly because without the context of what Kubernetes is and all the complexities that it brings, it's hard to understand all the different resources and and kinds and and things that are sitting there. So it's a good starting point for you as a developer to go there and see, okay, this is a pod. Where is my application living? And we'll go there with Lens App IQ, but as a developer, then it's a little bit more friendly to go there to the UI and start inspecting things to kind of reverse engineer what's going on in there. I like the way you presented that because we, we hear from any number of developers that they really don't want to have to know about infrastructure. If they could get away with like not knowing, they'd be happy. They'd be thrilled. <laughs> and you don't want to start them off with, yeah, use the kubectl command line, go for it, and yeah. expect them to parse all that output and be able to make sense of it when they don't know architecture. When you get that visual element to it that Lens Desktop is bringing, it reduces a barrier to adoption, if you will. It's, uh, it really does make it easy to consume the Kubernetes environment that they're publishing applications into. So that's that's a great way to put it. Absolutely. And I, and I can relate 100% with that because I come from an application developer background. Mm. I, I, I don't come from a sysadmin background. So yeah, I, I have made my way into this cloud-native world and now I'm more familiar with a lot of these things. But when I started and I had to, to face my first Kubernetes cluster, I was like, okay, how do I SSH into this? How do I see this? <laughs> 
It got complicated for me to understand what a kubeconfig file was, how to get access to the cluster and all that. So yeah, 100% having these tools out there, it makes your life easier. Welcome to the dark side, my friend. It tastes like <laughs> YAML. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. September 19th, 2023, Marantis announces for the Lens ecosystem App IQ. Would you summarize that announcement, Daniel? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. On September 19th, we release a new product as part of the Mirantis portfolio. Um, it's living under the brand of Lens, but it's dedicated to give app-centric and, and app intelligence to what we call the management of applications living inside Kubernetes clusters. So it, it provides a lot of insights and, and governance and a lot of important features uh, to customers out there that, as we were discussing before, don't want to face the complexities that Kubernetes bring in terms of adoption on their uh, software development teams. So yeah, this was released on September 19th. And it's open for public. Anybody can sign up. There is a free account that you get entitled with as soon as you sign up uh, first time. And you can connect there your clusters. There is no limitation in terms of features that you can enjoy. The only limitation is in terms of how many clusters you can have. But feel free to go there, connect your cluster, and see what Lens App IQ has to offer for you. Okay. And so in terms of the software, this is not a desktop application like Lens Desktop. This is a hosted solution that's available as a SaaS product, correct? This is a SaaS product. This is uh, a cloud service that we have hosted ourselves um, where people can go there, sign up. Um, and as part of the usage, if we want to go there already, there is a seamless integration with Lens. So from Lens side, you can quickly go there, go to your cluster, and you will see a brand new tab in there called Applications. And there is a, basically a one-click button that you can use to install our agents to start exporting information to our cloud service, the SaaS service we're talking about, to then enjoy these extra features, these enrichments in terms of, of applications so you can move from the desktop to the web to support your applications. Now, you're saying applications. Now, in the Kubernetes world, depending on just how an application is deployed, that can mean a lot of things. It could mean a bunch of stuff. It, well, it could mean something in a pod. It could mean a lot of pods. It could mean microservices and a whole bunch of applications interconnected that way. So how do you, as Marantis, define applications here? This is a very important question because, yes, this is a, an opinionated SaaS service. So an application for us is any workload resource. And we start from there. So a deployment, a stateful set, or a daemon set. And from there, starting from there, we discover, we create, we compute a logical map of all the different Kubernetes resources that are associated with one workload, with a deployment, and we consider that an application. So then you will have a deployment with their services, config maps, secrets, uh, ingresses, anything that might be associated with that, that for us is an application. If that deployment has multiple containers running in it, they are still part of one single app. And based on that, we, we start enriching that application. The concept of an application in Kubernetes does not exist. The closest they came up with was applying some recommended labels to some of your resources. So you as a developer and, and as a developer can specify, this is my application. Okay. So 
Another possibility that you have with Lens Apps and, and uh, with Lens Apps IQ and, and, and Lens Desktop is that you can define these recommended labels, inject them there into your resources, and then that's what we can also consider an application. So you have both approaches, and it's really up to you to select which way you want to visualize things. But under the hood, for us, an application will always be a workload resource. We start tracking everything that is happening with that, and then the rest is just visualization, how you would like to see that. Now, you said the word enrich a few times in terms of, of the additional information that I'm getting out of AppIQ. So can you expand on that? What, what exactly is included in that enrichment? The way this process works is you install a control plane, you, you install an agent in your cluster, and then our agents start doing some work over there. And the work that they do is, first of all, they discover all the namespaces that are living in your cluster and all these workload resources. We do this transformation of what an application is. And then from that point onward, then we start tracking a few things. We start tracking events. So what kind of events? Every time your application goes into an error, every time there is a new deployment, every time a pod gets restarted, everything that goes on with that specific workload resource, we are tracking that information and we are sending it to the cloud. So as a user, you can then log in into an, our dashboard, go there, inspect your application and see all the events, everything that is going on with your application for you to have this sort of audit, who is doing what and what's happening. Besides that, you these controllers, they are all also exporting logs. So you can, again, go to the dashboard, inspect the logs without even, even having access to the cluster as a user, as, as long as you just get invited to that specific organization. You can inspect the applications, see the logs, see these events, configure webhooks, for example, to, to trigger alerts based on those events, send them to Slack, and then everything gets easier from a troubleshooting perspective because, again, removing these complexities of Kubernetes, now an application developer can think in terms of an application. What is my application? A, a, a Node.js server, a React application, a, a Python app. So that's an application for me. Then I can quickly go to the web and inspect these enrichments, the logs, the events, metrics that we also ship on memory consumption and other uh, few features. And then within that context, abstract away the, the complexity of, of, of Kubernetes on how you will need to pull that information directly from the cluster to get that. So we do that for the user and then we simplify these, these process for them. Is it scraping metrics kind of like Prometheus does? Yes, that's correct. Uh, we Part of our control plane basically installs uh, like a Prometheus server and then we ship metrics and, and, and we start uh, overseeing memory consumption, uh, CPU consumption. If there is an ingress there, we also see HTTP requests, response times, and, and things like that. Now, do you see this as the still the two persona role the, of the folks that are going to be consuming the data from AppIQ, or is this going to be more slanted towards a developer who's concerned about you know, performance and interactions of the app and so on? So we consider both because of the following. One of the problems we see out there and the reasons why we started with this product is we see that a lot of modern software development teams, when they start scaling up, then developers need more and more help from a DevOps person to basically deploy their apps, to troubleshoot their apps, and so on. So ultimately, what we see out there is that a lot of teams are trying to enable the developers somehow. And that ends up being a task for a platform engineer or, or for a DevOps person. Evaluate if they can bring a lot of tooling and provide some sort of UI to the developers so they can 
own their apps and they can troubleshoot the apps and they, they can take care of them without consuming their time because they are there for a lot of other reasons in managing infrastructure and other and whatnot, right? So as part of this enablement, we are kind of simplifying the life for the platform engineer. Now, what the reason why I'm mentioning that we try to focus on both personas is as you enable developers, then as a platform engineer, how you can ensure that they are following the right practices or how you can make sure they are, I don't know, respecting the policies that you want to, to establish. So from LensApp IQ perspective, a platform engineer or, or a DevOps, an operations person can set up a set of policies and enforce those policies, apply them to a specific namespaces to then start seeing policy violations. Let's say you define that all applications should have uh, CPU and memory uh, limit set. And these are the limits that you want them to be respecting. So you can define those, apply them, and in one place, you immediately has 24-7 reporting of what's going on with the apps. So if Ned or anybody else start deploying apps there, you can, at any point in time, set up alerts and get alerted if applications that Ned is deploying, maybe they are, don't have these uh, controls. So it's up to you then to communicate with them and see how you can achieve this compliant uh, state. And in terms of writing policies, is that something that App IQ helps me with uh, to create new policies? Uh, say I'm not a, a Rego expert, <laughs> assuming you're using OPA. Uh, in our case, for policies, we also have an opinionated approach right now, at least for, for this launch. You can quickly set up just using a UI or, or a YAML file, a very declarative approach of, of setting a specific policies. Mm. Very simple. We started right now with a set of uh, eight or, or nine set of rules that you can define. But what we're, we're trying to pursue is to make this really flexible. So you as a platform engineer can define your own rules besides what we offer out of the box. We started with the most common problems we see out there, uh, resource consumption, whitelisted container registries, network policies, uh, mm -hmm. security scans, and things like that. Uh, but we're trying, as part of our growth, to, to, to keep this as flexible as possible. So if you are using OPA, then you can bring that up and also get monitoring based on those policies. But at least for now, this is a very simplistic UI uh, that you can use to, to fill out these policies and, and apply them optionally to, to these namespaces. Let me put on my, my operator persona here and ask a question that would harken back to the olden days of being a sysadmin. Way back, we had application performance monitoring, APM, right? And if you invested a lot of time into your APM, you could map an application onto the underlying infrastructure. So you could find out, for example, uh, this disk RAID set has got a failed drive and performance is very slow, and that could percolate up as an alarm so that you'd know application performance is slow. There's your root cause, this failed disk in this array that this application resides on. Do we have something similar here with AppIQ where I can see dependencies that take me down through the Kubernetes cluster and maybe even into hardware? So in this particular case, at least not for troubleshooting, but we do... So one of the things we do as part of this computation of the logical map in the web, you can quickly see per application all the different resources associated with the, with the one app, volumes, uh, claims, everything that is there. And then you have a quick overview of, of all these dependencies that are related to it. If there are problems with uh, volumes and, and, and whatnot, we are not tracking that kind of information, at least 
in this initial state of, of the product. But what we're trying to pursue is bring any kind of valuable app-centric information. So as long as something comes part of this dependency map, then we'll try to do something about it to offer uh, these rich insights to users, and then basically they can go from there. So if I'm used to using Lens Desktop and, and or Lens Teams, you mentioned that once AppIQ is installed, there's going to be an apps tab. And uh, then I go in there and I can mine this additional data set that you're pulling from me with the client. Uh, what else, how else does that integration work? Is there more to it that I should be looking for and expecting to see changes in my lens environment? So yeah, in in, in lens there is a right now after after September nineteen on lens side there is also this new tab called applications. It's permanently there, no matter if you install our control plane or not. So okay. when you go there, they are presenting users an app centric view of yeah what what are the applications they have running in their cluster. Now. If you choose to install the control plane for Lens App IQ, for each application, then you see the rest of the information we provide, events, uh, webhooks, policy violations, and, and so on and so forth. So then from Lens view, you can also have a picture of what is your compliance status in, in terms of, of the policies, what are the different events that are happening, and so on and so forth. Because from Lens desktop perspective, as, you mentioned, as we mentioned at the beginning, this is just a desktop application, right? So it's not tracking your cluster 24 seven. Mm -hmm. It cannot generate uh, alerts based on something that went down, I don't know, two days ago at 12 uh, AM. So that's something that our control plane can do. And then it, it enriches this view because on a single uh, place, then you have the visibility of, yeah, I don't know, three hours ago, my application went down. Why, what happened? And then you can go into the troubleshoot and, and, and keep going from there. From a developer standpoint, with this app-centric approach, we believe that we are simplifying their lives in terms of these complexities that Kubernetes brings. Well, I hadn't really thought about it that way. With the AppIQ agent installed on the cluster, now I do have someone that's watching 24-7 percolating important data up into the cloud where when I'm ready to go look at it and deal with it, I can. So effectively, exactly. I've got a form of 24 by 7 monitoring. Exactly, because uh, until this point, we were missing on land side that that piece. Because yeah, well, you well you have your window open in there, you're good. You you can see things, you can see Kubernetes events, and you can see a, a bunch of things happening to your cluster. But once you go away, what goes on, right? Yeah. So with these <laughs> with these agents, then you have that. Uh, capability of, of basically tracking anything that, that's happening. And happening, again, from, from an application perspective, we don't meant Lens App IQ to be an infrastructure management tool or anything like that. We are only focusing on applications because we see there, there is a, a lot of potential out there uh, to help the industry. You're not going to be using Lens App IQ to deploy new Kubernetes clusters or perform those kinds of infrastructure operations. This is specifically around the workloads and applications deployed on each cluster. That's correct. We, we are definitely not pursuing that area. There are a lot of tools out there that can help you out with you know, deploying your Kubernetes cluster and upgrading and managing your infrastructure. There are so many cloud providers out there also investing in these. Um, that is not something that we're interested in. We know there are a lot of very nice solutions for it. So yeah, we're just focusing on where we think there is still kind of a void that hasn't been completely filled. Right. 
Now, as part of that onboarding process for a cluster, you've mentioned the control plane uh, several times. What is in that control plane and what sort of resources does it take up on on the cluster? Because I know that's a, a common concern is I lay down the control plane and half my cluster is taken up by this control plane watching the other half, you know, uh, run an application. When you install the control plane, we install three pods, an agent, the agent is responsible for establishing the connection with our API, basically, with the cloud. Uh, it uses a tunneling approach, so we can communicate with the cluster even behind a firewall uh, or a local cluster or something like that. The only responsibility for this little guy is that one, establishing mm -hmm. that connection and then allow the communication between our API and the Kubernetes API to pull resources, to read data, to construct this logical map. Then we have another controller that is the one responsible for overseeing all the workloads uh, and checking every time and, and mapping these uh, violation reports based on the policies that have been defined. So this little guy is checking every time the app goes into an error, it reports an event. Every time there is a policy violation, it reports an event. And finally, we have uh, an extra component, which is the one we do for metrics, our metrics uh, scrapper. That's the one that is checking memory and CPU consumption. The three of them, they're really small. The footprint is not so big. Uh, the consumption is very limited. So yeah, I think uh, at least in that sense, uh, we haven't had that issue with you know potential users out there. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. I'm hearkening back to the days when I ran VMware clusters, and there were some VMware management tools that would take up more than half of an ESX node all by themselves. And you'd be like, ah, but I kind of wanted to use that for <laughs> something else. <laughs> it was one of our concerns uh, from the very beginning when we started ideating behind uh, this project. We have tried to make it as lean as possible to make sure these kind of things doesn't happen. <laughs> right. And this control plane would be installed on each cluster that you want to onboard into AppIQ? That's correct. That's correct. And that brings another point. So from, from the cloud perspective, then you have a multi-cluster, multi-cloud view mm. because you can connect as many clusters as you want. Uh, as I mentioned before, in terms of lens, same uh, rule applies. As long as this is an official like a Kubernetes distribution, you can install the control plane, and then you have visibility of all the applications running across 10 clusters. I don't know, five clusters, whatever. It doesn't matter if they live in, in Google Cloud, in AWS, in Oracle, IBM. Mm -hmm. It's transparent. Uh, cluster sprawl is a real problem. So yeah. <laughs> it's good that you can kind of get that that more holistic visibility into multiple clusters. And it sounds like, you know, Lens Desktop, since it's running on your local workstation, that workstation needs to be able to reach out and talk to all of the different clusters. So it needs you know, direct access. It sounds like since you're installing a control plane on these clusters, that direct access is no longer needed because it's an outbound connection from the cluster. That's why from the cloud perspective, we remove this constraint that I as an application developer had at the very beginning uh, mm -hmm. of my career. How do I connect to a Kubernetes cluster? Right. The reality of this is, as long as the operator person installed the agent, you as a developer, you can simply go to our dashboard, log in, and start consuming the, the information from there without even worrying of having access to the cluster because the information has been already exported. It's already out of the cluster. It's outbound. You can start troubleshooting your app. The platform engineer doesn't need to give you access to the cluster to do wrong stuff over there. 
um, but you can still support your application. You can see the logs, you can you can see the events, and and start from there. Are there some integrations in AppIQ with other applications? I'm thinking, you know, plugging into Slack or Teams for for sending alerts or hooking into uh, you know GitHub or GitLab to monitor some portion of VCS and deployment. I don't even know if that would make sense, but I'm, are there some integrations that exist or that you're planning to to put together? One of the enrichments, uh, quote unquote, that we support is uh, this ability of, of providing webhooks. And our web, webhooks are really flexible. So we have integrations already in place to send these alerts to Slack, VictorOps, OpsGenie, some of the most common ones, to send alerts in regards to any of the events that we can oversee policy violations, app issues, application deployments, and events of, of these kinds. We don't go deeper in terms of, yeah, I don't know, plugging your GitLab account there <laughs> uh, and, and overseeing, I don't know, a CICD job. Uh, that's kind of out of, of our scope. We want to focus mostly on, on these kind of troubleshooting post observability and, and other issues. Now, having said that, we do have a small deployment piece available for users if they don't have a deployment strategy. So we realize at this point in time, a lot of companies out there, they already have their deployment strategy. They might mm -hmm. be using Argo CD, Flux, Crossplane. There are so many tools out there and they're <laughs> all perfectly valid. Uh, don't get me wrong, they, they, nothing wrong with that. There is a lot of value to it. But in case, I don't know, an application developer without any experience on, on all of these tooling out there, doesn't know how to deploy an application, then you can optionally install a deployment engine in as part of the, the control plane and then deploy applications just by uh, providing a Docker image. As long as you can provide a Docker image, then we'll do the rest of the work for you to convert that or translate that into all the different Kubernetes resources that need to exist to have that application deployed and exposed through a service. So if you, you had this in deployment with some customers where you can talk about maybe some use cases that customers that have been working with AppIQ early on have found? We had before this release some kind of POCs, right, with some potential customers out there. And some of them, there are certain, let's say, consultants that are managing infrastructure for several clients. And some of those clients are not familiar at all with Kubernetes. Some of those applications developers, yeah, they are experts writing their Golang applications and, and their Node.js applications, but they don't know how to proceed after that. Mm. They reach to a point where, yeah, they are familiar with containers and they can create their Docker images. They can push the Docker image to a Docker hub. But now what? How do I get that into a Kubernetes cluster? So uh, for those, these companies basically installing as part of the control plane our deployment engine and then providing certain namespaces to, to these developers so they can just produce their Docker images and use our either CLI through a CICD job or the dashboard directly if they want to, although it wouldn't be like an automated way of, of, of doing deployments, uh, but they can use that Docker image and then get their applications deployed. These are simple use cases, but it's just another way to enable an application developer. Because as I mentioned, once you start scaling up as a, as a team and your 
platform engineer, it's it's overwhelmed by the rest of the responsibilities they have. <laughs> what happens if you really need to deploy like a quick microservice for testing purposes, for new projects, for things like that? I don't know. In some companies, we see that these cases come up to a dozen of microservices. And the platform engineer then needs to be there helping them write all these YAML files or or set up all these all the tooling behind them. So mm-hmm. at least with a simple approach, they can get things out there and keep productivity up, which ultimately is what we're pursuing. We're just trying to uh, enable uh, developers so they can focus on, on what matters to them. Not writing scripts, no writing infrastructure code, no managing uh, Kubernetes, producing value through their applications. Right, but ultimately you got to close that feedback loop when it comes to the development process. So they need to be able to see the results of what they've deployed, how it's functioning, and then use that information in the next sprint when they're you know planning out what improvements they're going to make to the application. That's the whole reason why it doesn't matter if you have your deployment strategy defined or if you don't. In both scenarios, Greenfield or Brownfield, you can take advantage of Lens App IQ, see the application that you have already deployed or use it to deploy your own apps and then troubleshoot have this post observability of, of everything that's going on and then empower your team so they can keep being productive. So Daniel, right out of the gate, you guys have a lot of functionality you've released with AppIQ. You seem to identified your target market use cases very clearly. Okay, what's next though? Is there going to be more? You got stuff on the roadmap for us? We're trying to focus a lot in, in the compliance side of things. So we're trying to improve uh, the user experience in terms of how people set up policies. As I mentioned before, we're trying to make that engine as flexible as possible. So if you already have implemented, let's say, OPA, you can come to us and have some sort of compatibility with that so you don't lose the work that you did. With that, you will have still, let's say, the compliance reporting and the easy way to to kind of monitoring these policies, but without losing the work that you did. Besides that, we're trying to bring as much intelligence as possible. So we are trying to do some integrations there uh, with, with other products to bring more intelligence to it, bring more insights, more information. There is a lot of information that we can generate from here. So we're trying to, to collect as much as we can and then give that information back to the user in the most useful manner. Those will be, I think, some of the items that we are kind of discussing. And of course, this is a new product. So we really also want to learn from users, hear what their concerns are, uh, where their recommendations are, and, and keep growing from there. Hosting this this thing, AppIQ, my understanding from reading about the architecture was it's, it's hosted in the cloud by Mirantis, or, or am I self-hosting it? How does that go? We are hosting it ourselves right now. This is all uh, in like in a hybrid concept. So it's uh, part of our cluster is hosted in AWS. We have different solutions out there. But yeah, this is hosted by us. Now, an important part of this is that as a company, if you don't want to have your information on cloud, but you still want to get benefits from the product, you can self-host Lens App IQ as, a, as an instance. And then you mm-hmm. can install the whole API and, and everything that's right now hosted by us on cloud in your own cluster, whatever it lives. I don't know, is it on-prem cluster, on GKE, AWS, AKS, whatever you want, you can host it yourself. And then basically that acts as, as the API 
for less up IQ, and then you can connect multiple clusters from within your organization or, or, or whichever the case. The challenge being, if I if I want to host it myself, then I've got to worry about uh, network security policies, let's say, to make sure that the client and the, uh, the app IQ collector, if you will, can talk. That's correct. Although generally, because of the way the tunneling is set, technically, there shouldn't be issues. But yeah, we know there are a lot of customers out there that have like tight security constraints. Uh, normally, of course, they, they know what to do. So we offer these self-hosted options so they can install the control plane and configure the security as they want to offer the solution to, to their application developers and their platform engineers. All right. So if I'm interested in getting started with AppIQ and maybe even Lens Desktop, what's the best place to go to, to check it out and maybe sign up or, or download some software? The product is available apps.lenscloud.io. As I mentioned at the beginning, it's, it's already open there for registration, so anybody can sign up for free. There is a, a quick sign-up button there that you can click. It takes you to create your own Lens ID. We're sharing our authentication mechanism with Lens. So if you were already a Lens user, you can basically leverage that uh, SSO, that, that single sign-on feature to do that. If you don't have Lens, then you can simply go to this app, Lens, LensCloud.io, sign up, create your account, and start from that point forward. We will recommend that, yeah, if, if you don't, if you haven't installed Lens at any point in time, please do so because there is a lot of uh, important information there uh, and, and easiness in terms of cluster management. I would say that even the connection to Lens App IQ is easier for them because it's just a one-click button rather than otherwise if you start from the web, which is perfectly valid, it will generate a command for you and then you will need to apply that command in your cluster. Those paths, both of them are really valid. So I will really leave it up to the user. So whatever they prefer. I also wanted to compliment Marantis on learn.lenscloud.io. There's a robust set of documentation there that's very, very easy to read and click through and navigate, uh, well-written and, uh, and all of that. So if you're a person out there listening and you love your documentation, learn.lenscloud.io, you can start there with no signing up for anything and start getting a, a handle on what the product is and what it does and how it's meant to work and how it integrates with your Kubernetes cluster and, and all the rest of it. So Daniel, thank you very much for joining us on, uh, on Day2 Cloud and, uh, and thanks for sponsoring. Uh, Marantis is a first-time sponsor on Day2Cloud. Thanks very much for sponsoring. Virtual high fives to you out there listening, making it all the way to the end and tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, vendors you'd like us to talk to, topics you'd like us to hit, we would love to hear them. Go up to day2cloud.io and fill out the topic request form. Day2Cloud is part of the Packet Pushers network of podcasts, newsletters, blogs, videos, and even a Slack channel, all free for you at packetpushers.net. Again, free, no login. None of those pesky, hey, give us all your info and we'll give you a white paper kind of stuff. Our sponsors like Mirantis pay our bills. And so we give you content that makes you better at your job as an IT professional. And that's why we are here. And thanks for listening. You make all of this work. Until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.